John chapter 11, we'll begin at verse 38, read down to about verse 44. Let's read together, shall we? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lord, open our hearts today that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say. Let faith rise in our hearts that we may respond to the word of the Lord in our hearts and our lives. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them and I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. That you draw them to a place of repentance. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered from the faith. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will draw them back to you so that not one of them will be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the wonderful, strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One minute they were having a normal conversation about the plans for the day. The next, he was lying unconscious in the middle of the floor, burning with fever. Summoning a strength they didn't even know they possessed, the two sisters managed to half-carry, half-drag their brother to his bed. While Martha bathed his fevered brow with cool water, Mary hastened to summon the town physician. After a quick examination... The doctor sadly shook his head. This wasn't the first case of this mysterious illness he had seen, and each one had proven fatal. This was far beyond his skill. There was nothing he could do except try to keep him as comfortable as possible. Barring a miracle, their brother Lazarus was going to die. Wait a minute. Did you say miracle? Well, we just happen to be good friends with a man who specializes in miracles. Quickly, a courier was dispatched with a message for Jesus. Your dear friend Lazarus is very ill and not expected to live. Come quickly. When word reaches Jesus, you would think he would drop everything to come to the aid of his beloved friend. I mean, that's what you do when there's an emergency. 
Instead, when John writes about this event in his gospel, the first thing he talks about is the procrastination of Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't have any pressing duties weighing on him. He doesn't have crowds of people demanding his attention at this time. There was nothing to prevent him leaving immediately to go to his friend in Bethany. And yet, verse 6 says, when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't saddle the donkeys. He didn't pack an overnight bag. He just stayed where he was. Jesus procrastinated. It's interesting when you read it that the writer records the conversations Jesus has with his disciples while he's waiting around, but says nothing about what's going on at the home of his dying friend. Jesus has gotten the message. Jesus and the disciples are talking about the situation, but Mary and Martha know nothing about any of that. All they have is a sick brother. Martha is tending to him the best she can. Mary is praying every prayer she knows to pray. Nothing is helping. Lazarus is getting worse. Finally, the illness wins and Lazarus dies. And Jesus still isn't there. In that culture, the funeral would be held very quickly. So Martha and Mary have to make the arrangements and have to make the decisions necessary without any assistance. When a Jewish person died, they would be wrapped in clean white linen strips of cloth with spices placed in the folds to help mask the stench as the body decomposed. There was no embalming process that they would go through in that culture at that time. As long as the body was in the house, no food would be prepared. Once the body left the house, all the furniture in the house would be turned over and people would either sit on the floor or on stools. Along with family and friends, a group of professional mourners would follow the body to the grave, which was usually a cave outside of the village. Even poor people would hire flute players and professional mourners to come and be a part of the grief. And the the wealthier you were, the more weepers you hired. There would be great wailing. The body would be placed on a shelf carved into the walls of that cave. And a large stone would be rolled in place to seal the cave from animals and grave robbers. When they returned to the house, they would have a traditional meal of hard-boiled eggs, lentils, and round loaves of bread. For seven days, there would be deep mourning, and the people would wail and beat their chest and throw dust into the air. Then for 30 more days, there would be a period of less intense displays of grief and loss. One year later, the grave would be opened, and the bones would be taken and placed into a box called an ossuary. This family was obviously well known because friends came from miles around, including as far as Jerusalem, to comfort them. But the one friend they were most looking for is nowhere to be found. The one hope they had for their brother's recovery isn't there. The one person they most looked to for comfort is missing. 
They haven't even heard from him. They know he received their message, but he didn't respond. Just when they needed him the most, he let them down. Jesus is absent. So the day passes, and another, and still another, until Lazarus has been dead for four days. There was a belief in that day that the spirit of a person lingered around the corpse for three days after death, seeking a way to re-enter the body. But by the fourth day, the spirit gave up and was permanently gone. Four days dead means any hope of restoration and healing has vanished. All that's left is this gaping hole in their heart and the vague promise of something in the far distant future. Now, it's important for you to understand that Jesus truly loved these people, loved this family. It's important for you to remember that Jesus knew the severity of the problem. And yet, he procrastinated. He, he delayed coming to them in their time of need. See, he could have easily come immediately after receiving the message of Lazarus' condition, healed his friend, and spared these precious people all the grief and anguish and expense associated with treatment, death, and a funeral. In fact, <clears throat> It wasn't even necessary for Jesus to get to Lazarus. I mean, he had demonstrated on other occasions that if if he just spoke a word of healing, even from a distance, the person would recover. Jesus allowed these dear ones he loved so much to experience the pain and grief and heartache of the death of their beloved brother Because he knew two very important things. First, that he was going to do something greater than anything they could possibly imagine. And second, what he was going to do would be a means of establishing faith and getting glory for himself that could not happen any other way. And it's important for you to understand that Jesus intentionally delayed coming to this family for whom he cared very deeply because sometimes that's exactly how the Lord responds to your cries and your concerns. Listen, when you pray and nothing seems to be happening, it doesn't mean the Lord hasn't heard your prayer. When you call on God and it seems that the situation only gets worse, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you don't have enough faith or that you're out of the will of God or that God has forgotten you, or that he stopped caring for you, or that he's lost his ability. Sometimes the delay only means that there is a delay. That's all it means. Sometimes the delay only means that God is doing something that is so far above anything you could possibly imagine that he hasn't told you anything about it because he knows you're only going to be able to understand it after it's all over. So when God doesn't come just when you think he should, don't give up on him. Don't count him out. Don't abandon him. You can't see it right now. You can't understand it right now. You may even be frustrated by it 
right now, but the delay is important to the plan and the purposes of God. The delay is important to you. The delay is important to the other people involved. The delay is important to the proper resolution of the conflict. And the delay is important to God. So if God hasn't moved yet, don't give up. Keep holding on. Keep keep hoping. Keep trusting. God knows what he's doing. And God is working. Well, in this story, the writer tells about the procrastination of Jesus. Then he also talks about the pity of Jesus. When Jesus finally arrives at Bethany, Martha is the first one to go out to meet him. When she sees him, she is relieved, but there's also something of a rebuke in her tone. Can can you hear it? You, you, You can tell by what she says that she's just a little put out with Jesus. Don't look at me so piously as if you've never been put out with Jesus. She says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, it's obvious she's hurting, but notice that Jesus doesn't speak sharply to her. He doesn't blow her off. He doesn't rebuff her. He doesn't tell her to be quiet because she doesn't know what's really going on. Instead, his words to her are full of comfort and hope. He tells her, Lazarus will rise again. He assures her that her hope is not in vain. He reminds her that even though things are about as bad as they can possibly be, he's still the master of the situation. He redirects her focus onto himself in verses 25 and 26 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean that a person will never cease to have a physical existence on this earth. That's not what he's talking about. I mean, even though we know the rest of the story that Lazarus was brought back from the dead, still we know that he did eventually die. I mean, I've been to Israel a couple of times. I've never seen him wandering around, nor have I ever heard any reports of anybody seeing him out and about. So, you know, we know he, he did die. Probably the best illustration of the pity of Jesus is found in verse 35. It's the shortest verse in the whole Bible, but it speaks volumes. It simply says, Jesus wept. Even though Jesus knew what he had planned, even though he knew there was going to be rejoicing in just a short time when he called Lazarus back from the dead, still, when Jesus saw the anguish of Martha and Mary, when he saw all the professional mourners with their loud wailing, his spirit was deeply troubled. He ached for them and with them. He wept. And understand, this wasn't just a single tear. It was a flood of raw emotions, groaning. He wept so loudly that those in the crowd who heard it called attention to the depth of his love for Lazarus. Jesus' tears weren't just for his friend. After all, he knew what he was about to do. In that moment, Jesus saw firsthand what death does to people, and it broke his heart. He saw and experienced the soul-crushing pain that death brings, the sleepless nights, the loss of appetite, the uncontrollable sadness, and the tears, oh, especially the tears. It broke his heart and strengthened his resolve. 
this madness must be stopped. See, the Bible is true in Hebrews 4.15 when it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. See, it's important for you to understand today that the Lord Jesus, even now, sees the hurt you've experienced. He saw the abuse you suffered as a child. He saw the way you were unjustly treated on your job. He saw the ridicule you endured from those you thought were your friends. He saw the way you were mistreated by your spouse. He saw the hurt in your eyes when you realized that you really weren't loved. He saw the anguish in your heart when you were left all alone to fend for yourself. He saw the despair when you realized that death had robbed you of your loved one. He saw it, and his heart was broken. He didn't sit impassively looking over the battlements of heaven with a stoic expression. He wept over the parts of you that had just dried up and died inside of you. Psalm 34 and 18 is true. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. I tell you, you may weep, but you will never weep alone. The Lord weeps with you. The writer tells about the procrastination of Jesus. He talks about the pity of Jesus. But thankfully, that isn't where he leaves it. Before he gets to the end of the story, he also tells about the power of Jesus. Many of you will remember these sisters, Martha and Mary, from another story. It's a story, it's, a, it's, it's that time where Jesus comes to the house and, and Martha is busy preparing and serving the meal and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha, you remember, complains to Jesus and asks him to tell Mary to get up and help her. You, you remember that story? Anybody remember that? Okay. Jesus told Martha, that Mary had chosen the good thing by sitting in, at his feet and spending time with him and learning of him and developing the relationship with him. You, you remember that? Well, there's a powerful lesson to be learned when you link the dynamics of that relationship with the story here in John 11 of the raising of Lazarus. See, Martha was busy working for the Lord. And when she came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, she received a revelation of a powerful truth. Jesus revealed himself as the resurrection and the life to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice he didn't say, I can do resurrections. He didn't say, I bring resurrection. Uh uh. He said, I am the resurrection. This is my identity. When you see me walk in the room, you're seeing resurrection walk in the room. As you read the story, you discover that when Mary is told that Jesus has arrived, she hurries out of the house to meet him by the tomb. When she gets to him, falls at his feet, and she says exactly the same thing Martha said to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's the difference. When Martha, the one who was busy working for the Lord, came to Jesus, she got a revelation of theological truth. But when Mary, the one who was seeking a relationship with the Lord, came to him, she got a demonstration of miracle life. 
You can work for him and get truth, or you can have a relation with him and get life. Jesus said to the people around him, remove the stone. Well, immediately Martha started objecting. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. Hey, buddy, you, you don't want to do that. It's been four days. Decomposition has already begun. By this time, Lord, there's going to be a stench that no spice wrapped in the folds of those grave clothes can cover up. It's too late, Jesus. Just leave him to rest in peace. See, Martha had her mind on the corpse, not on the Christ. Jesus will hear none of it. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Here's here's what this is really all about. You, You don't get it. This is what this is really all about. It's about the glory of God. Remove the stone. This is about the glory of God. And then in an authoritative roar, which is what that word means there, Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. What do I say? Had Jesus not been specific? Had he just called out in that graveyard, come forth, every grave in the area would have burst open and every corpse in that graveyard would have come alive. But the call was to a specific person for a specific purpose. Lazarus, here, outside, now. And Lazarus didn't have a choice because the one who is master over death and the grave was calling his name. I want to tell you, he wasn't even dressed for the occasion of life. He was dressed for death. He was wrapped like a mummy in strips of linen cloth. I've I've thought about this multiple times. I don't even know how he managed to get to the front of the cave. He's he's, He's lying on a slab on a shelf in that cave, wrapped up like a mummy. What does he do? Start rolling off, falling off. Then how's he get up? He was bound with burial clothes. He he couldn't. How do you do that? He couldn't call out for anybody to come and give him some assistance. His face was wrapped and his jaw was tied shut. Can Can you see him when his spirit entered back into his body? Somehow he managed to roll off that stone shelf. He managed to bump and shuffle and hop along the floor to the door. I don't know how he did it, but when Jesus spoke, when Jesus gave the command, he came forth. Because whatever Jesus commands, he enables. I need to say that again louder for the folks in the back. Whatever Jesus commands, he enables. I wish I had somebody who would have ears to hear the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you right now. You may be bound. You may have a place in your life that's been dead so long, you've given up hope that there could ever be anything productive in that place again. And the Lord would say to you on this Sunday morning, come forth. The Lord says to you, I am once more breathing life into that area of death. I am the one who makes all things new. I am the one who commands life and health and wholeness to come to you. I am the one who commands you to be loosed and to be set free. Oh, you may think all hope is gone. You may think the final chapter has been written. You may think it's too late for the Lord to do anything. The moment has passed. It's all over. But I want you to know that when Jesus is four days late, by your calculations, he's right on time by divine calculations. 
And notice what Jesus does next. When life returns to Lazarus and he makes his way to the entrance of the tomb, Jesus turns to the bystanders and says in verse 44, unbind him and let him go. What's he saying? I don't want him walking around with new life smelling like death. That garment was fine when he was dead, but he's got to have something else if he's going to live. See, here's the deal. Jesus resurrects and gives a fresh start, but instead of holding the old life against them, the church has a responsibility to cut off the old smelling death shroud and to release new life in those people that Jesus has made new. See, I know how we want to do it. Somebody comes in dirty, rotten, low-down, good-for-nothing sinner. They weep and cry their way to, a, to an old-fashioned repentance. They get up. Jesus has made them brand new. They still smell like the dregs of the world from which they came. And the pious church people don't want to get too close to them because you know what they were you know what they've been doing you know where they've been I know their history I know what they've been like oh come on somebody I know I, I, no no we don't we don't want to get too close to that uh-uh no the church has a responsibility to go put their arm around them and just I don't care what you used to be I don't care where you've been I don't care how you acted before if any man is in Christ, I seem to remember in 1 Corinthians, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things have become new. Cut off the grave clothes and give him a new garment. So, see, 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 some of you thought life was over after the bankruptcy. Some of you thought life was over after the divorce. Some of you thought life was over after the business failed. Some of you thought life was over after the moral lapse. Some of you thought life was over after the betrayal. Some of you thought life was over after the sin was uncovered. Some of you thought life was over after your loved one died. But Jesus is calling your name today. Come out of that tomb. I'm infusing you with resurrection power. I'm giving you a fresh start. I'm resurrecting a new vision. I'm empowering you today to live a new life. Your life is not over. There's new life in me. Your past will no longer define you. Your past will not control your future. Your past will not determine your destiny. You are free in the name of Jesus. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Praise Him if you receive that word for your life today. Let me finish this message by telling you one more thing, and then I got to quit. How many of you know that, that uh, how many of you know that names and words have power? Names and words have power. There are people who are bound 
And every bondage has a name. They're horrible names. There are physical ailments. And the moment you speak one of those names over a person, it's almost like you sealed their destiny because of the fear it strikes in their heart. We had this happen just recently. There was a, there was a scare. Somebody thought they had cancer. Cancer is one of those horrible names. The moment you say that over somebody, the panic and the fear. Come on, am I, am I telling truth? We don't hear as much about it, but it's still a scourge on our land. HIV, AIDS. When you hear that, heart disease, cystic fibrosis, kidney failure. In more recent days, COVID-19. Horrible names that describe physical bondage and elicit fear. There are other kinds of names that define a different kind of bondage, but it's one that is just as horrible. Abuse, depression, addiction. There are things that are spoken over your life by people in positions of authority, incompetent, irresponsible, failure, trouble, worthless, names, names that cause fear, names that lead to despair. Maybe you've had a name spoken over your life that has you bound. As horrible and debilitating as that name is, I came to this pulpit to tell you that I know another name. I know a name that is above every other name. I know a name before whom every other name must bow. I know a name that cancels fear. I know a name that soothes pain. I know a name that binds up brokenhearted. I know a name that heals afflicted bodies. I know a name that breaks the yoke of bondage. I know a name that removes the sting even from death itself. The power of this name was demonstrated on Calvary's cross and on resurrection morning. I'm talking about the chief cornerstone. I'm talking about the lion from the tribe of Judah. I'm talking about the bright and morning star. I'm talking about the lily of of the valley. I'm talking about the fairest of 10,000. I'm talking about Mary's baby, Bethlehem's glory, Golgotha's agony, the empty tomb's victory. I'm talking about the resurrection and the life. I'm talking about the only name that matters, the strong name of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. He's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. And I want to tell you today, he's not just the healer of Nazareth, and he's not just the helper of Galilee, and he's not just the hope of Israel, but he's your healer, and he's your helper, and he's your hope. I'm telling you, there's life in his name. There's power in his name. There's deliverance in his name. You may have thought there was no other possibility, but Jesus has a new garment for you. He's cutting off that old death shroud right while I'm preaching. He's doing that in somebody's life, and he's replacing it with a garment of life. I'm on a mission today. 
I'm on a mission today. I've come in the power of the Spirit to call you out of the dark. I've come to call you out of the tomb. I've come to break yokes of bondage. I've come to release you from your captivity. I've come to cut off the grave clothes. I've come to clothe you in a new garment of life. And I say to you by the word of the Lord, live, 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 live. If you're ready to receive that, you just stand right where you are. Live, live. Live. If you receive it, live. Lift your hands. I receive it, Lord. Live in the name of Jesus. That's all I got. But that's all you need because that's the word of the Lord to you. It's not pastor's word to you. It's what Jesus says to you right now. Live. Live by the power of the Spirit of God. From this moment on, from this moment on, you're not going to be bound by those old things. You're not going to be bound by those old thoughts. You're not going to be bound by those old habits. The Lord says, I'm releasing you from that right now. You're done with all of that. You're done with all of that. You've got a new life right now. You've got a new path. This is the word of the Lord to you. Somebody give him praise now. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice and praise him. You got something? I am the Lord. I'm the almighty God. I am the one for whom nothing is too hard. I am the shepherd and I am the door. I am the good news to the bound and the poor. I am, I am, I am. Hear the word of the Lord, I am. I am the bread and I am the wine. past behind. I am the one in the midst of two or three. I am your tabernacle. I am your jubilee. I am. I am. He says I am. I am. Oh, he says I am. Hope I am. I am joy, I am rest. I am your comfort and relief from your stress. I am strength, I am faith, I am love, I am power, and I am your freedom. This very hour, I am a hope, I am peace, I am joy, I am rest. I am your comfort and relief from your stress. I am strength, I am faith, I am love, I am power. And I am your freedom. Do it oh, one this more time. I am, hour, I am a hope. I am peace. I am joy. I am rest. I am your comfort and relief from your stress. I am strength. I am faith. I am love. I am power. And I am your freedom. This very hour. I Confirm your word now to these people and seal it in their lives by the power of your spirit. 
that when we leave this place, we leave this service, we will not leave the same way we came. We will leave transformed by the power of the Spirit of Christ. Resurrection power will flow through your people now to make them brand new. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give God praise if you believe that's true for you.